Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. For those who might not know me, my name is Cole. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, So it's good to be with you. Here at Central, we long and seek for the transformation of all things by the renewing power and the renewing work of Jesus Christ. And we're glad you're here with us in that journey, Uh, whether you're online or in person. It's good to be here. Well, the the few times that I've gotten to preach, I realized that I usually tell a personal story every time. Usually it's one about failure, so hopefully you feel better about yourself. Um, But there is a reality that I probably have a lot of those stories. But I'm going to share another one today. Although I really long for one day for uh, me to tell you about the time I worked at a zoo uh, and and how much I really dislike spider monkeys. But it's really unfortunate that it does not fit in today's kind of sermon theme. So I'll save it for, for another time. But before going, coming here and coming to seminary, I, and even all throughout high school, I worked in the restaurant business. I worked uh, in all, all in all about 10 years in the restaurant. Um, and if you're doing the math, I get it, four years of high school, four years. I did a couple extra victory laps in college. It's okay, everything's okay, we did it. Um, but before coming here, I was in the restaurant business. And, and, and there I worked uh, anywhere from, I started uh, busing tables as a high schooler, to dishwashing, to all the way up to grill cook and apprentice butcher. Uh, and I learned so much. I learned a lot what not to do in life and I learned a lot what to do in life. And so it was a great educational experience. Um, but if you, the, the kitchen that I worked in, uh, there was kind of this hierarchy in the sense of you didn't get to do grill or butcher unless you kind of went up the, kind of went up the chain. You had, to, you had to go through the jobs that no one else wanted to do, right? And the one thing that I'm pretty sure none of us wanted to do was work the fry station. Um, it, was, uh, it was awful. Um, I did my time. I did my year there. Uh, and I was really glad to be moving forward. It's, it's, it's really hot and, and greasy, and uh, there's a high likelihood you'll burn your face off. I mean, it's just a, a really uh, rough time. My wife, uh, is, we dated in, uh, when we were dating in college, was really glad when I was done with the fry station because I just smelled like it all the time. Um, and so, yeah, but in the fry station, you are constantly... Uh, busy and it's, and it's nerve-wracking, constantly being yelled at, constantly being said, here we need this. You're making appetizers of all kinds and fries and chicken fingers and, and all the like. And the trick is in order to keep up, you have to make just a little bit extra just in case a, a plate comes back or uh, somebody needs something else. And so uh, just a little bit so you can keep everything fresh, but just so you can stay a little bit ahead. But when you are constantly being yelled at and constantly be behind, your priorities start to kind of get out of whack. You start to get distracted and start to be more about uh, being productive over being or creating uh, or producing good food. And you start to make a little extra and you start to make a little more and you start to cheat just a tad bit more and make sure you, and then the food is gross, it's cold. You get it sent back and you have to do it all over again. It, uh, a never-ending cycle. Uh, but in the midst of that, you are forgetting the main priority. 
Um, while productivity is good in the restaurant business, good food is better. That's just the nature of it. We forget our priorities. See, our passage this morning is one many of us have read or heard before. Some of us have heard it uh, in ways of uh, a be like sermon or don't be like dichotomy, right? Be like uh, Mary, don't be like Martha or the like. And I'm not really convinced that's the heart of this passage. I really don't think that creating some sort of Bible personality test is the best approach. Uh, you know, I'm feeling a little Martha today or feeling a little Mary. Although if you come up with that and you put it on Facebook, you let me know and you give me credit. You heard it here. So that's it. But this passage um, is pivotal in our walk with, or walk with Jesus as a disciple. It's sandwiched in between two pivotal passages on what it means to be a disciple. The passage before it is the Good Samaritan. And we see that the disciple of Jesus is to be one who embodies radical hospitality and love towards the stranger. And that love is sacrificial. So in short, it's what we are to do and what we are to be about. And following this passage is the Lord's Prayer. It shows us how we should pray and how we should see our role as a disciple in Jesus' kingdom. So in many ways, it teaches us how to see. Our passage today gives us a tender warning not to forget where our ability to both live this out and to see the world around us comes from. See, we can often find ourselves serving out of our own power and out of our own self-interest and find ourselves distracted, frustrated, overwhelmed, and forgetting where our rest comes from. Spoiler alert, our rest comes from Jesus. We'll get there. Um, But let's read the passage and we will pray. Starting in verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus tells her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Almighty God, grant us eyes to see what you would have us see. Grant us ears to listen Spirit, stir our affections towards you and find you better. Teach us today, we pray. Encourage us today, we pray. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Well, I just kind of have one point today, which might be weird for some of us three-pointers out there, Um, but it's got two parts, so maybe you'll, it'll be okay, but here it is. When our priorities are mixed up, we are distracted from who we are called to be 
and where we find our true rest. See, at the beginning of this passage, we see that Martha welcomes Jesus. She welcomes him into her home. And that term welcome or open to her home or open into her home is, is the term of hospitality. It's the word used there for hospitality. She has taken it upon herself, that responsibility. And then in that time, that was, a, that was a big deal. And not only was it a big deal of providing for people, setting a table, setting a space, making it uh, hospitable for them to be in, it's also, he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. So there's even this added pressure of having to have it all together to do what is necessary to make him comfortable and those around him. And that's not a bad thing. Hospitality is not a bad thing. I want to be clear about that. Also, if you know, we're doing a Quip Central class on hospitality, this guy I know is teaching it. He's really great. It's me. And uh, I would love for you to come uh, to that. But hospitality is not a bad thing. The problem here is not Martha's welcome or her hospitality. It's the value that she puts on it. It's the worth that she is seeking to find through it. See, human beings are really good at making good things into idols or finding our worth in good things or finding or f- and forgetting where our worth really lies. All along, looking to those things for our rest and our peace, uh, ability to belong and a seat at the table. And when that is distracted or when that doesn't live up to what we want it to be, Uh, We will preserve it and find something to make it that at all costs. And notice here that it it seems like a whiplash moment to some extent. We, We go from Mary went from doing good things of hospitality to Lord, don't you even care? Don't you even care that my sister has left me to do this work by myself? Tell her to help me. I can't help but be reminded of the time of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee and the storms are raging and the waves are crashing and they're, they're just going crazy. They have no idea what's gonna happen, happen. They think they're gonna die and they turn around and they go, Jesus, don't you even care that we're about to die? We're going to perish. And Jesus you know, gets up in very Jesus fashion, you know, says stop and uh, tells them do not fear and, and tells them of his love for them and that he is trustworthy and true and there for them. Or you think of the, the Israelites in the desert, in the wilderness, There's plenty of times where the Lord had had to remind them that he does care and that he is for them. And even if you think about it, the same is true in our own lives where uh, things don't seem to be going as planned or as we would want them to. And we might ask the question, do you even care about me? I also want to recognize that the anxiousness that uh, Martha is feeling does not come out of nowhere. There's a lot culturally going on here that would produce worry or kind of concern. See, Mary is sitting at the feet of a rabbi. And not only does that indicate a posture of a student, which is generally not a place for a woman in this time, she is also in mixed company, which also is generally never done in this time. So I can imagine Martha sees that and is wondering what's going to happen. She's probably been told that this is okay, but still, this is something that's been ingrained in her. So Martha is frustrated about not getting help. She's concerned about what's 
going to happen. And instead of sitting at the feet and finding rest in Jesus, she moves to judgment and questioning and ends up questioning Jesus himself and his motives. Yet Jesus sees her and names her worry and her trouble and responds with a gentle correction. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I think it's the beginning, the beginning scene is, it tells us a lot about our own lives. Lives full of distraction. Distractions that lead us away or pull us away from who we are to be. See, sometimes our fears and our worries keep us from experiencing the freedom found in Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount found in both Matthew and Luke, which is in many ways another discipleship discourse or kind of a discipleship manual to some extent, um, Jesus mentions anxiousness and worry, the worry of provision, saying things like, the birds are eating, (laughs) I take care of them, why wouldn't I take care of you? This anxiousness of, of worry of provision or anxiousness of not knowing or the fear of not being able to trust. If we're honest, we too live in that space. Our fears of not having enough, the fears of things not being as they should, the fear of suffering, the fear of anything we cannot control worries us and then spirals us into a place of judgment and gatekeeping where we spend more time trying to protect what we have than being a people of welcome. And instead of hospitality being a place where strangers turn into friends, our lives become a place where strangers become suspicious And if we're honest, even our own lives start to become suspicious to ourselves. We start to feel like we have to earn our place at the table with Jesus. And we feel that we, if we feel that way about ourselves, we will will exponentially feel that way about others and those around us. And when we think that way about sitting at the table or at the feet of Jesus, it will make us anxious and it will worry us and lead us to distraction because we're believing a lie that you have to have it all together and cleaned up and buttoned up before you come to him. And that's just not the case. Because remember, we love to take good things and make them ultimate things. Remember, we love that. We love to find worth in things that unfortunately might not love us back. We do this with um, all sorts of things. We, we find our worth in, in our, our work, our, our families, our politics, our friendships, and even, even in the church. And, and they're good things. But we can take those good things and make an idol of them and get frustrated, discouraged, and distracted when they don't give us what we want or what we need. I read an interview the other day that it's a few years old now on busyness and COVID. It was between two professors, one from the University of Dublin and one from uh, from Duke. And they were asked these questions that range from finding meaning in busyness to how busyness affects us and the formative reality of what a culture of busyness does to a person. I found it fascinating. I think it's really interesting to think about where we were before uh, lockdown and the sense of that busyness that we felt, all of a sudden everything comes to an abrupt stop. Then we have these starts and starts and stops. And then there were some great things that happened in between that of how to see our neighbors and whatever. And then now we've just been tempted to go back to where we were. Um, But Brian O'Connor, the professor from Dublin says this about our busyness. 
and what it does to us. He said, something I'd emphasize here is a very distinctive feature of the contemporary age. It's been developing over centuries, but has come to completely abnormal level in recent times. There is a kind of busyness that's dedicated to sort of making a name for oneself, you know, establishing an identity. Whether it be social, a social media identity, a presence, a personality, or professional one where visibility, where relentless visibility is required. I think that probably the most stressful thing that many people put themselves through is building a visibility which is highly dependent on whether anyone wants to look at you and whether anyone wants to regard you as worth looking at. I think that an escape from that strikes me as a pretty liberating possibility. And uh, I would agree. Because friends, at, at the feet of Jesus, there is an invitation to freedom. Freedom out of our distractions, out of our fears and worries, out of our bitterness and judgment, and into the rest offered in Jesus. Where good things can still be good things, but Jesus is always the better portion. Because Jesus is where we find our true rest in a distracted and anxious world. I want to point one more thing out in that article that I found really, uh, really helpful. Uh, Omid Safi from Duke later in the interview was asked about finding meaning in busyness. And he says this, I said, I'm not so persuaded that busyness and meaningfulness are one and the same. It's possible to be busy all the time, but not necessarily be engaged in activities that are particularly meaningful. And a lot of the work that is most meaningful, you know, when you sit down with a loved one and you have your hand on their arm and you're listening very attentively, you may not look very busy in the moment, even though it's the most meaningful thing you could be doing. And we know what it feels like to sit with someone uh, and, and to have someone sit with us in a hard moment, in a joyous moment, in moments we need correction or moments we need direction. It doesn't seem to be a waste of time at all. It seems to be pretty restful, pretty restorative. So how much more meaningful and fulfilling and rest-giving is it to sit at the feet of Jesus? See, Jesus is calling Martha there. He's calling her to sit, rest, and learn. And I think we see that Martha listened. I think she did it. Because if we look later in, uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 11 and 12, and we see a woman with her priorities in order, even in one of her most difficult times. And, and she even gives one of, the, one of the greatest confessions of who Jesus is in the New Testament there in chapter 11, because she confesses that he is the Christ and the Son of God. And she does this in the midst of her grief, her trouble, her brother died, she is distraught, but she is still trusting. And then yet, just interestingly, just a, a chapter later, Lazarus is raised and they're throwing a party at their house and where is Martha? She's serving them. She's being hospitable. She's doing what she feels like she's called to do. Not because she's trying to prove anything, but it's out of an abundance of grace and love. So what changed? What changed is that she was with Jesus. She was at his feet. There she listened like Mary. She hungered for his teaching and his word. And she chose what is better. 
I find John 6, the, the section with, uh, when Jesus teaches this really hard teaching and some, and some of the followers start to walk away and he turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to go with them? And Peter responds to him and says, where are we going to go? To whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of life. You know, one of the priorities that we need in our life is time spent with Jesus at his feet in prayer and his word. But I want to be clear here, though, because we can take good things and make them ultimate things, right? We, we can th- even take good things and weaponize them. See, God's word is a lamp to our feet, not a bat to hit others with, right? We read scripture not out of a competition to make us look better than the next person, but because we need it. We hunger for it. We don't pray like the Pharisee, but because we pray as we need it. We need Jesus and we hunger for him. And this hunger battles against our fears and our worry and our distraction. I always find it amazing when God is telling his people to do the most impossible things like be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. It's amazing to me that he does that to, and then what comes right after that always is, don't worry, I will be with you wherever you go. He does not leave us, and he has the words of life. See, the challenge for us in our day is asking what priority does God and his word have in our distracted and anxious days? One stat I saw this week is that U.S. adults consume, and I said adults, by the way, uh, don't, don't quickly go to the children. Adults consume 13 hours and 11 minutes of media a day. It's the average U.S. citizen. And don't worry, it's down a little bit from last year. Uh, about two minutes. So it was 14, or tw- uh, tw- uh, 13 minutes last year, so... Good times, we're, we're on a good trajectory. Um, and I don't share that out of shame or guilt, mainly because I am, I am guilty of the media consumption as well. And, and I think if, if this was a shaming and guilting piece, we would even move back to the first point we had, right? We would start to, to be distracted. But I share this to remind us that we live in an age full of distraction, There's always something to pull us away from everything, and it's important for us to be aware of that. So if you find yourself really anxious, really angry at someone you don't even know personally, or mad at something you didn't even know existed until five minutes ago, and now you feel the urge to challenge anyone and everyone you've ever known on a social media platform that they're wrong, I don't know if we're living in rest. We might be living in distraction. See, one commentator says it this way. He says, life is short. We need to choose very deliberately. Life does not automatically arrange itself into proper priorities. Amidst a thousand other duties, we must make sitting at Jesus' feet the one thing, the better thing, and the primary focus of our hearts and lives. It is important to be aware of what shapes us. What voices take priority in our days? Do these voices help us love our neighbor or fear our neighbor? Do they bring us closer to Jesus or away from him? Do the voices draw us closer to our brothers and sisters in Christ or away from them? See, the rhythms of church life and time spent with Jesus are a crucial part of the life of the disciple. 
is what fuels our radical welcome. And it causes us to pause to pray for God's kingdom to come and not our own. And if you have any questions about what that would look like, uh, any of us ministry uh, ministry leaders and pastors and elders would love to talk more about what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. Uh, We're all pretty imperfect, uh, but we will tell you how we're trying and how we're fighting and hungering. Uh, And if you're here today and the Bible seems really odd, foreign, and a bit weird, I get it. I would love to talk to you as well about what that is and why we love it and why we need it. And I wanted to close with this. See, the message here is for all of us who would call ourselves disciples. A message to make the main thing the main thing. That though things seem good, Jesus is always the better portion. Even in our time, or in our time of sin and in our time of good intentions. As we serve Jesus, we do it out of a place of rest and renewal because we have been with the living God. And for those here who are curious about Jesus or those on the fence, Jesus has something to say about our burdened and anxious lives. The Bible speaks to the never-ending rat race that we live in, the fears we have, the hopes we have, the grief we feel, and Jesus knows them all. See, at the feet of Jesus, there is rest in our weariness, rest from our distractions, rest from our constantly feeling that we have to earn our way at a seat, to get a seat at the table. Because Jesus has already made a way at the cross. And at the cross, he tells us that we can find rest for our souls. At the feet of Jesus, we also find hope that combats our fears. And this is the same Jesus who said, though in the world you may have many troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. For the cross, at the cross, he has defeated the greatest fear and our greatest enemy, for death has lost its sting. And at the feet of Jesus, we find purpose to live out God's kingdom here and now. At his feet, we listen and are strengthened, encouraged, and sent out to proclaim this news that God invites broken men, women, and children to find rest, hope, and life in a crazy, busy world. So friends, you are welcome at the table with Jesus. To the feet of Jesus. And, find an invi- and you have an invitation to rest. And I pray that he would use each of us to help welcome many more. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your son and his love towards us. Lord, remind us each day of the deep, deep love of Jesus. Strengthen us to live out your good news in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces and wherever you put us. May we be a non-anxious presence among a world of distraction. And we can only do that through you and only through the rest and guidance we find at your feet. So Lord, cause us to hunger for your word and for your ways, we pray. Amen.